You're listening to audio from Redwood Baptist Church. If you need any more information about us, go to weareredwood.org. We hope that the message that you're about to hear will strengthen you, encourage you, and make you more like Jesus. Blessings. Mark chapter number six, please, if you turn Mark chapter number six. And so thankful that you're here today. And I trust that you've come desiring uh, once again to uh, hear from the Lord. I love one of the lines in that song. I don't know if I'm going to get it exactly right, but it talks about how the cross from age to age and hour by hour. And I leaned over to Sarah and I was like, man, that's a good line. Literally, man, you and I, we need to remember the cross hour by hour, don't we? It's just God's final word to you is uh, the cross of Jesus Christ, His his ministry on your behalf. If you're ever, if you're ever wondering, man, is, is, is God for me? Look to the cross. This is a beautiful, beautiful song, Mark chapter number six. I hope you'll come on Friday night uh, to our movie night and uh, bring your own chair if you want. If you have your like comfy camping chair uh, that you want uh, to use, you can do so. We're going to meet right over in the fellowship hall adjacent to this building and uh, start at right around seven o'clock. And it's going to be a great time. There will be, uh, we have a set of blue chairs over there as well. Uh, so you don't have to bring a chair, but if you'd like to, uh, you can, and uh, anticipating a great evening uh, for that. Mark chapter number 6, we're going to begin reading in verse number 7, and our morning message is going to come from 7 through verse 29. However, I'm not going to read all of the verses. Uh, sometime this afternoon, maybe if you want to uh, read uh, some of the, the portion about uh, the beheading of John the Baptist. I'm going to, when we get to that portion, kind of just retell that story for you. Uh, but this morning's message is going to come from Mark 6, verse 7 through 29. Let's begin in verse number 7. And he called unto him the twelve, and began to send them forth by two and two, and gave them power over unclean spirits, and commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey save a staff only, no script, no bread, no money in their purse. But he shod, but be shod with sandals and not put on two coats. And he said unto them, In what place soever ye enter into an house, there abide till ye depart from that place. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear you, when ye depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet, for a testimony against them, verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And when they went out and preached that men should repent, and they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. And King Herod heard of him, for his name was spread abroad. And he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead, and therefore Mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Others said that it is Elias, and others said that it is a prophet or as one of the prophets. But when Herod heard thereof, he said, It is John whom I beheaded. He is risen from the dead. And if you continue to go through the text, Mark kind of gives us the depiction of what took place when John was beheaded by Herod. This morning I've entitled our message, we're in our series, Jesus, from the book of Mark, and I've so enjoyed this series as we're just making our way verse by verse through it, but I've entitled this, ser- or this message, Kingdoms Collide, Kingdoms Collide. Let's ask the Lord to 
uh, bless one more time. Father, we come before you, and Lord, we're eager, eager to hear from you. Thankful for what you've done in my heart and how you just really begin to allow me to see things from this text uh, early on this week, and uh, Lord, how I've just seen it really on display in my life this week. And Lord, I pray that as you, with your help, Lord, I desire to articulate, Lord, what is going on in this text. And Father, I pray that you'd be glorified. I pray that we would not be passive listeners this morning, but that we'd be engaged. And Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I titled this message, The Kingdoms Collide, because I think these two very different, these historical stories in them, you really do get a picture of something that is bigger than what you're just reading of the calling of the 12 disciples and the beheading of Jesus Christ. We really do see in uh, this portion of chapter number six, a collision between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. You see a collision between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of self. And we, we really, in a real way in which you and I, we understand that this is a war that is taking place in every situation of your life, every single location and relationship, there's, there's this war that goes on. Am I, am I going to adhere to the kingdom of God and to what God wants, or am I going to do what I want? And that's really the war of all wars every day of your life, every single moment of your life, starting from when that alarm clock goes off, right? Am I going to just continue to sleep, or am I going to get up and do the duties in which uh, I have been called to do that day? And I want to say to you early on this morning, you and I, we cannot live right now with a peacetime mentality. And the reason why is because this is not peace. You and I, we we, we are living in a war And it is as the kingdom of God continues to march on and go forward, at every turn it's going to be met with the kingdom of this world. It's going to be met with uh, the powers that be uh, here, these spirits of Antichrist that are present in this world. And it's going to constantly be a fight in this week for you. I hope you get encouraged. It's going to be a struggle with this fight. And that's why we pray, as John prayed, even so, Lord, come quickly. Uh, We want him to come for our return, but even as we pray that, the war goes on. And you really see that pictured here in this text. Uh, In the early verses of 7 through 12, you have the significant transition in the ministry of Christ. And this transition is, is that these 12 disciples that he calls, they're no longer going to be witnesses of what Christ is doing. They're now going to be enlisted in what Christ has been doing. They're now going to be empowered to kind of do what they have been seeing, this amazing man of God, Jesus, in front of them as the Son of God. And it's a very significant moment because although their calling is a little bit different and uh, it has, uh, you know, it's kind of unique and specific, but what you really are seeing here is the beginning of God's call to all believers. If you are a child of God, if you are a believer, you have not only been welcomed into this family of God, you've not only been welcomed into this kingdom work, you've been enlisted to be a part of the advancement 
of God's call and God's kingdom here. And that really begins in this moment where God begins to send out these 12. And I just want to make a quick, some quick observations of this. You see that the disciples, they are they're sent out with, with authority. We see that in verse number 7. And he called unto him the 12. They began to send them forth by two and two and gave them power over the unclean spirits. See, you and I, in and of ourselves, we have no ability whatsoever to defeat evil. We saw that in Mark chapter number 5 with the maniac of Gadara. All of the human ways, all of the exterior um, trying to control that man. There was, there was nothing that could be done. There's nothing in and of ourselves that can really advance this calling in this kingdom of God. And so God, what he does, he's not, he's not unkind to us. He doesn't just send us out as his children to say, hey, I want you to impact this world, but I don't give you any authority. I don't give you any power. No, instead, early on here, he's saying, hey, I want you to go, and as I send you, I'm going to give you authority. I'm going to give you authority over, over evil and so on and so forth. And of course, you and I, we see that that in Christ now, in us, in the Spirit, that power extends to us today in an amazing, powerful way. And so, they're sent out with authority. You and I, if we were to look into uh, the book of Corinthians, you and I would find that we too are sent out with great authority as his ambassadors in this world. But we also see an observation here that Christ calls for these followers to not only preach the gospel, but to live it. I don't, I, I don't want you just to preach faith. I want, you to, I want you to live faith. We see in verse number 8, and he commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey save a staff only, no script, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals and not put on two coats. And he said unto them, In what place soever ye enter into an house, there abide till ye depart from that place. These men, they were, to, they were to live a life of faith. They were to live dependent upon God. And so they do not take anything but just bare necessities for their journey. The very faith that they would proclaim in God, they're called to live in their everyday experience. And so you and I, too, should live the message we preach. You and I should live the gospel. We preach it. Hey, 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 this is what you need. And you and I, we, too, are to, again, we don't have all of the exact ramifications of what these men would have gone through, but you and I, were, the, the principle that we can gain from this and observation is, is that you and I were to we're to not only be followers of Christ, we're also to be, to be doers of what we are saying others ought to do. And we also see that Christ, he shares the seriousness of this, message, uh, of this mission. And he, and, he, and he does it in a unique way. Verse number 11, And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear you, when you depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Eh. That's strange, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, but, uh, that's, a, uh, that's a unique way of saying things, but it's really, it's really rooted in a Hebrew custom. See, when a Hebrew person would travel beyond Israel, when they came back from foreign lands, when they, when they, when they crossed back into, uh, into their border, they were to kind of turn and they were, to, they were to take their shoes and they were to kind of dust off any of the 
uh, the contamination or the pollution, so to speak, that, that they would have encountered when they would have gone abroad Israel. You've got to understand, this was, it was God's people, and God, were, God gave his people all sorts of laws and ways that they were to live by. And so when they were to, they were to go beyond those walls, which is really kind of what is starting now with these 12 disciples, but when it was going beyond those walls, they were going to be out in pagan lands. They were going to be out amongst the Gentiles, and they were going to do all sorts of different, they were going to be around all sorts of different people and all sorts of different situations. And uh, they were going to be uh, mingled in with people, and God gave them many constant reminders. Hey, hey, you're my people. There's, there, there, there's a difference uh, in you. And so when they would come back into Israel, there was a Hebrew custom of, hey, I want you to, I want you to dust your feet off. And, to, you know, so because it's so important. We don't, wanna, we don't want to contaminate, in a sense, the message or, 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 or what, what we ought to stand for. And so we see the seriousness of this mission. And when you and I, when we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and a call to repentance, there is only one proper response. That is the response of faith, belief, confession, and turning. In this text, that's what they would go. They would go and they would preach later on. They would go and they would preach repentance. This is the message. We went all the way back to Mark chapter number one, repentance and believe in Jesus Christ. And so every moment that you and I hear the word of God, you are being given an awesome and amazing grace. And that grace holds you accountable to respond. I want you to please listen to me. This morning... What we are doing right now is very, very serious. Because God and His plan has allowed you to be here. Realize you could have woke up this morning and have been sicker than a dog. How many you thankful you're not sicker than a dog this morning, right? Man, flu's going around, right? Ooh, stay away. I don't want it. If you're sicker than a dog, we'll see you next Sunday. Amen? All right? It's okay. You know, there's this mentality, man, hey, you know, don't call in, you know, you know, crawl in. No, 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 no. All right? If you're sick, please, we love you. We'll see you next week. All right? But God in his sovereign plan has allowed you to be here this morning. He's allowed you to be under the, under the word of God, to be in this room, to, to hear it. And listen, the very fact that you get to hear it is the grace of God working in your life. Do you know how many places in our world today that if they wanted to hear the Word of God, they couldn't because there aren't maybe churches, there aren't, there aren't preachers. I mean, I, I'll be so bold. There's going to be people in churches today and they're not going to hear the Word of God. But I don't want to be so arrogant to think that we're the only ones that do preach the Word of God. And so it is God's grace and His sovereign plan that you would be seated here this morning, and hear what I'm about to say, that holds you accountable to what you hear. So I will ask you, what will you do with what you hear this morning? This morning is not a passive experience. We've looked at that in this book as we've talked about the different types of soils. Listen, it's not a, it's not a passive experience. You're not a distant consumer 
So many churches today are filled with just consumers of what can you do for me and what program do you have for me and we're desiring to be a blessing to people. We're desiring to be a blessing to families. But hear me, you're not just a distant consumer. You are, if you allow me to say this, you're objects of glorious and specific timely grace. And that grace calls you to a response. And so these men, they would go out and there was such a, there was such a seriousness with this mission that hey you call them to repentance you call them to change and if they don't hey just dust your shoes off and go on to the next listen you and i there is seriousness about what goes on here on sundays and i'm so thankful for kind of every aspect of our church i'm thankful for the prayer that mike and his team put into just of the songs that we sing listen they're not just mm, oh let's sing this one oh i heard this one on the radio it's great no there's prayer, there's planning, there's practices that go on before, and I'm so thankful for that. The seriousness. Another observation as we move quickly here. We also see the success of this mission. As these people went out with the authority of the Lord, and they began to proclaim faithfully the message of repentance, people were delivered from evil, sicknesses were healed. This is an exciting moment. Because you begin to see in Mark chapter number 6 the kind of the advancement of God's kingdom. This is kind of the beginning of, uh, of it beginning to spread to where now we have millions and millions and millions of people that would call Jesus Christ their Messiah. And that excites me. It began to have such success. But that's not the only thing that's going on. But it right up against this advancement of the gospel. It's amazing what begins to happen here is this horrible story. Mark gets us into this story by talking about how there's still some confusion about who Jesus is. Again, the message is beginning to spread. Every town that Jesus begins to go into, you notice that there are crowds and people that want to be healed and you know, he's the he's the miracle worker. He has such amazing words. He's so wise. And so now it's spreading out but there's still hmm, who is this one that says he's the son of god who is this one that says he is the messiah some said hey he's john the baptist he's the one that's been raised from the dead and that's why he has this miraculous power others said that he's he's elijah he's he's the one who said that the elijah that was to come some said he's a prophet or he's like one of the old prophets but then you have herod and Herod has a personal interpretation. And his interpretation is a guilt-ridden interpretation. It is superstitious. It is a pagan man knowing that, 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 that John was the one that came and said, hey, 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 you are in sin. You literally murdered your brother so you could marry his wife, Herodias. And so he came to Herod and, and he called him to repent. And then, of course, he chopped his head off we'll get into those elements here in, in a little bit and so he's superstitious he's like yeah jesus this is this is john the baptist he's been beheaded and so john the baptist he had preached this message and he had called herod to repentance herodias his wife didn't like it and said hey hey herod i want you to kill john i want you to kill john the baptist and Herod knew there was some anxiety within him. If you keep going down through the text, he knew that he was a righteous man. And so he, he, he didn't want to kill a righteous man, so instead he throws him in prison to placate his wife. 
And so you see this is what's going on. And I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to describe a scene for you here in this text. And I'll do the I'll do the very best that I can. It is a banquet with Herod, his his military men, and the noblemen of his community. So if you allow me to kind of say uh, those that those that served around him, this would have kind of been a political military party. These would have been the big guys. These would have been the big guns. Very, very powerful people if you were to continue to read down through the text. And at the end of the banquet, Herod's daughter-in-law dances in front of these men. Now the scene would have probably been this. These men and this group that would have been at this banquet, no doubt they would have eaten far more than they should have and they definitely would have drunk far more than they should have. And I cannot imagine a father-in-law being comfortable with his daughter-in-law dancing in front of the crowd to simply delight them. But what is more shocking in Mark chapter number 6 is that the individual that gets the most delight out of this party and out of this sensual dancing was Herod himself. And Herod comes to her, he, he says to his daughter-in-law, he literally says, hey, hey, ask me of anything and I'll give it to you. If you even, if you want, if you want half of my kingdom, you can have it, he tells uh, his daughter-in-law. Listen, Herod didn't have that kind of power. Herod couldn't have given away half of his kingdom. He was a Roman uh, protectorate. So he couldn't have made that type of choice and yet he is giving this false promise and he's acting like he has all of the power and this is Herodias his wife's moment to kind of kind of to seize the to seize the moment his daughter-in-law she, she she comes up to her mom and says hey hey what should I ask for Herod has said hey I'll give you anything that you ask we're in this drunken party you've you, you've danced before us and they, hey it was so good I'll give you anything you want and Herodias said, hey, ask for John the Baptist's head. And so his daughter-in-law says, I'd like John the Baptist's head on a plate. Herod, being in front of his powerful men, being in front of the noblemen, being in front of these military men, he gives in not wanting to be embarrassed and says, I want you to give me John the Baptist's head. Now, why is this man being assassinated? Because he was faithful to the proclamation of repentance and faith, no matter who was offended. I learned yesterday, I had the privilege of conducting John and Jenna's renewal vows. They've been married a year and they wanted to they wanted to renew those vows where family and friends can see it. And I had the distinct privilege of officiating the wedding. It was beautiful. And as the custom that I would do, and I will get up in some form or some fashion, I will talk about how marriage is between a man and a woman. And I learned later that there were some out in the crowd. I, I, I didn't know. They were kind of scoffing to that idea. 
And so I am no John the Baptist. I'm not trying to equate myself. But you wonder what, what happens when truth, when the kingdom of God collides with the kingdom of darkness, what happens when the kingdom of God collides with the kingdom of this world. Oftentimes what happens is there are ruins that take place. And so this righteous man, John the Baptist, you see these kingdoms collide and it happens just to be in his bo- on his body and in his body. I want you to kind of let, let your mind grab a hold of this scene. The daughter, kind of hard to imagine, takes this, this bloody head to her mother. And the disciples of John, they take his body and the remains of his body and they lay it in a tomb. And so what you're once again, you're seeing is, is, the, is the mighty move of God as people are beginning to be, their lives are being changed. She's called his 12 disciples and they've been given great authority. They've been given great power. And so now what is happening is that advancement of the kingdom is colliding with the kingdom of this world. Now, why would these kinds of passages be in the Bible? What is, what is meant for you and what is meant for me when we hear of this grotesque? I mean, think about the platter. Most likely, maybe a couple hours ago, meat was served on that. What, why, why would, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, would he lead Mark to, uh, to give us such descriptions? Well, I'd like for you to think for a moment that Scripture says that the Word of God, that it's been written, it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, mature, complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. This passage is written not just, be, not just to give you history. This passage is written to equip you to be what God has called you to be and to be able to fulfill what God has called you to do. There is a practical gospel purpose for your heart and for your life in Mark placing this this new move of the kingdom of God right next to this horrific story of death and murder. And I want to just suggest just a couple gospel implications and purposes for your life and for my life. That listen, listen, let's not just be passive. Yeah, we heard about the 12, the, the 12 disciples being sent out. We heard me kind of just kind of tell the story of the remainder of, uh, of you know, John the Baptist's head being uh, chopped off. But what can we take away this morning from this text? Well, let me say, first of all, you should be warned again of the seductiveness and the destructiveness of sin. We've already looked at that extensively in chapter number five. But power, power is intoxicating. Power can distort and it literally can uh, just, just change the desires of your heart. Pride and power, these types of things, uh, the, 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 they're dangerous in and of themselves. Solomon tells us in Proverbs 16, it says, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Listen, if you and I are coming in here with a prideful heart, that we, are, that we know everything, that I cannot be taught anything, that I do not need this type of thing. Listen, I'll be very cautious of that. Anger will also cause you to do things that you would never think you would do. Herodias was so mad at John the Baptist for preaching truth 
But ultimately, her anger, of course, got John the Baptist killed. It says in Proverbs 29, An angry man stirreth up strife, and a furious man aboundeth in transgression. Have you ever known someone where they're always angry? They're always mad? I know some people like that. I'll be honest with you, they're always tripping up in sin. We knew it was going to happen. Anger. Chapter 15, verse 18, A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. Sex is entertainment. It's dangerous and addictive. Listen, sin never leads you in a good direction. Sin never results in good things. Sin never, ever has a good harvest. It never does. It always leads to destruction and death. And it's not to be toyed with. We talked heavily about that at the, at the beginning of chapter 5. So maybe you're saying, well, hey, I'm not like Herod. You know, I, I'm not like Herodias. But every time you and I give way to something that is outside of God's boundaries... We're stepping into danger. We're stepping into an arena, listen, where destruction can take place. And what I'm afraid of for my life and what I'm afraid of uh, even uh, for your lives is that we get worn down by our culture and we no longer take sin as serious because culture is just constantly beating on us that this is okay and this is okay. Uh, JV, he, he preached last week at 10 o'clock and he talked about how he was alluding to kind of the passage in Isaiah where the world calls wrong right and right wrong. And it's degrading and it wears on us. And if we're not careful, we just play with sin a little bit. We begin to, we begin to think that it's okay. Listen, we may not be where Herod was. We may not be where Herodias was, where she was so angry, she was so wrathful that she wanted a man dead. But let's be cautious with the boundaries that God has placed in our lives. And let's not just think, well, you know, it just, it's just so fun. No, no, we, we talked extensively about that. You can go online if you want more about that message from the beginning of Mark chapter number 5. And so we, the Bible is shockingly honest. It puts, us in, it puts it in your face to see it again and again to remind you, hey, hey, be warned. So be warned. We see this text. Be warned of the power of evil. Don't play with it, guys. Get into the Word and find out what is, you know, what is right and what is wrong. I can't possibly do that in one given message. Let me give you another gospel implication here. Number two, the gospel is an offense. The gospel causes you to think things about yourself that you do not want to think. The gospel teaches you that, that life, that it's not all about you, that you're not to be in the center of your universe, that is only ever supposed to be God. It teaches you that you do not have the right to just, to, to just form your own rules and to live however you wish to live. No, 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 the gospel is an affront to that. The gospel puts you in a world that is ruled by an authority. And that authority being God, then it has boundaries. The gospel teaches that you do not belong to you. The gospel teaches you that your biggest problem in life exists inside of you and not outside of you. It is your sin. 
And the gospel teaches that there is nothing, there is nothing that you can do to fix your biggest problem apart from running to the glorious grace that you find in Jesus Christ. Now that is a hard message. It is a glorious and freeing message when we fully understand it. That all we need is Christ. That He is enough. However, it's still a difficult message to hear. Many of us, even though we've embraced the Gospel, we still have struggles believing that the Gospel defines us the way that it does. Be honest. You know you do. Let me give you an example. Often when someone begins to point out a weakness in your life or a failure, what happens inside of you? Praise God, I'm so thankful for, you know, friends that tell me I'm a sinner. No. You know what I do? I pay my inner lawyer a whole lot of money and I go to my own defense. This dude's overpaid big time. The inner lawyer and me. I don't want you to tell me that I'm wrong. I don't want you to, I don't want you to take, I don't want you to take the word of God. It would be very specific here in my life. JV, I don't want you to take the word of God like you did last week and tell me that I need to be in it and that it needs to be a mirror. And as I look into that mirror, yikes. Right? Oh, hey, hey, we understand the gospel. We understand the implications of it. And praise God for that. But it doesn't always, it's not always easy to hear. It's an offense. It's hard to embrace the ongoing message that says every hour by hour, I need to embrace this love. What a great song. Mike had no clue I was going to say that. Listen, you need that grace that you received the day you got saved as much this morning as you did when you first believed. You wonder why? Because you are still a danger to you. You still have those those sin cravings within you. And you and I, we've got to hear the gospel. We've got to, once again, got to confront us over and over again. And we run to our rescuer. We run to our hero being Jesus Christ. Third thing here, moving on. You doing okay? All right? I know, it's not easy to hear. Number three, we're reminded of the sovereignty of God. This move of the kingdom and its collision with the kingdom of darkness, it didn't surprise God. All you got to do is read the Old Testament and you know all this was going to happen. God was not taken by surprise. The life of this righteous man was absolutely ordained by God. He was ordained to be the one that was going to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. He was going to be the one that was going to kind of get ahead of myself. He was going to, there was going to be a lot of similarities between uh, the, these two men. God knew that he was going to die this way. God's not shocked at this moment. Hear me. You need to remember the things in your life that surprise you do not surprise your Lord. The things that you're blown away with, the things that absolutely shock you, they do not shock him. He knows all things. He plans all things. <coughs> Excuse me. He has dominion over all things. The reason why you get shocked 
is because you're not sovereign. And by the way, that's a good thing. I'm glad that I'm not God. We were talking about our, <laughs> on our Wednesday home group, someone was saying in that. It's just like, listen, the reason why we don't understand is because we're not God. But he does. And so you and I, we need to remember the things that shock you, the things that surprise you. Man, they don't take him off guard. He's fully aware. Number four, we're reminded of the unstoppable plan of redemption. God's kingdom is not going to be thwarted. It is an amazing thing in the, in, in the face of this good man's death, the kingdom begins to explode through these disciples. You begin to read in the book of Acts, literally the Bible says they turn the world upside down. The message of Christ begins to just go. Once Christ dies, once he's resurrected, empowered by the Holy Spirit, his kingdom advances. So don't quit. You and I, we, we, we win in the end. Endure, because we win. Number five, we are reminded once again of Christ. This passage really does foreshadow the cross of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist, he prepared the way for another righteous man who was going to be brought to death. And he was going to be brought to death, the death of a criminal. Jesus would be put to death by another leader who knew he was innocent. The text here, Herod Herod knew he was a righteous man. Herod knew that John the Baptist didn't do anything wrong, and yet he was executed, and thus Pilate said, I wash my hands of this. He's done nothing wrong. And it's kind of just this story overshadows Christ and what he would do for us. Jesus would not die for his own crimes. He would die for ours. And in his death, there would be the promise for us forgiveness in life eternal. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.32, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake. What did he do? Christ's sake, he died for you. I've forgiven you. Because of Christ. He is offering, Christ is offering forgiveness. I hope you have received that this morning. And then let me say finally here, this passage should make you long for eternity. Long for the final victory where every knee is going to bow, where every tongue is going to confess, where sin is no longer going to have its power, where it's going to be defeated. Death is no longer going to reign. The kingdom of this world is finally going to be crushed forever. And you and I, we get to live in the new heaven. We get to be with Jesus. We get to know what it's like to not have just sinful cravings anymore. Man, that day's coming. But until then, every day of your life, every relationship you have, you say, oh, i got a great relationship. I know, but to be honest, it's still a struggle. Every situation you're in, Am I going to do what's right? Collision. All day, every day, until that day, eternity. Man, long for it. Look for it. So what's the call of this passage? Well, I believe it's to be aware of the war. To be aware of the collision. And where does that collision take place? takes place in the turf of your heart. This 
this war between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world, this war between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness and self takes place on the turf of your heart. There were probably times this past week, if you were honest, where you were tempted to take life into your own hands. You were tempted to do what seemed best to you. You were tempted to live as if you didn't need God. Remember perfect Adam? Remember perfect Eve? Remember last week the perfect environment they were in and God still had to tell them, hey, this is how you do things. You can't live independently. But so many times this past week, it was, oh, well, I know how to do this. Sometimes we, we forget the cross. Sometimes we forget the calling that comes with being a believer. There were times maybe where the things of this world looked more attractive to you than the things of God. There were maybe times when seductive lies begin to whisper into your ears and you began to believe them lies like God doesn't care lies like God doesn't know he doesn't understand he's not for you he's not faithful you can't claim those crazy promises that Ryan always talks about and so the call this morning to this message is a call to humility it's a call to seriousness because every day of your life you're at war. I want to ask you a question. Are you aware of it? Or are we just, eh, most likely we'll lose this week. We'll get defeated over and over and over again. We do not have a mentality of this is war. Until eternity, I'm going to have a war on the turf of my heart and would, be, would by God's grace, we'd be good soldiers. And we'd find greater joy in God's work than in what we want to see accomplished. Let's pray.